Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guest today is Brian Dunseth of Sirius XMFC. Before we get going, you can sign up for a subscription to my writing site now at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including magazine-style stories and on-site coverage of the men's and women's games. I'll be in England next week for the last week of Euro 22, plus a fun men's U.S.-related story that's coming out soon on my site. That's grantwall.com. Now, here's my interview with Brian Dunseth. Our guest now is Brian Dunseth. He hosts Counterattack weekday afternoons on Sirius XMFC, Sirius XM's 24-7 soccer channel. He's also a TV analyst for Real Salt Lake, where he lives, and ESPN. Donnie, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's been a while. Thanks for uh, inviting me, and it's great to catch up again, man. Yeah, lots to talk about here because you're on so many different things. And I guess that's my first question. Like, how do you keep up with everything that you have to keep up with in the soccer world to talk about it on all your different shows? Yeah, thankfully, uh, we've been blessed with technology, right? I remember talking back in the day with JP Della Camera about how he would prepare for calling matches. And he said he would get faxes from team uh, administrators and PR people. And that would be how he got a hold of rosters or how he got a hold of bios. Um, it, it truly is incredible having been on the broadcast side since I retired back in 2006 to see kind of the evolution of, of what broadcast looks like and the consumption of, of television and with social media, how that's taken a big chunk and a big bite out of, I would say, not only the, broadca the broadcaster's personality and personal personality, but how we're finding out news and information. And now that athletes can share um, their own stories or Cristiano Ronaldo can say, going back to sporting Lisbon, fake. Um, <laughs> But I'll tell you what, it's, it's harder to manage my children's schedules with dropping off to school, picking up from school, going to soccer, picking up from soccer, trying to figure out what dinner looks like with my wife. Um, but I am, I am extremely fortunate to kind of be in this space, as, as you know, um, to, to carve out a life uh, within the game post-playing career is, is something pretty rare outside of going into kind of the coaching realm, which was something that I, I was never interested in. So yeah, here, here we are, what, 16, 17 years later, still trying to figure out what this space looks like as it's, uh, it's ever evolving. Well, I enjoy your work and all the different platforms that you, you do it on. What's a typical week like for you in your different jobs? How do you hop from one thing to the other? Depending on the European season, um, when, when European football, soccer kicks off, you know, usually I'm, I'm up as early as 5 a.m., depending on the game. Um, because we're, we're five days a week on, on Sirius XM and Channel 157 for Like Tony Mule and I are messaging back and forth. Um, he's the Serie A homer, so I lean on him because you know his AC Milan and they've won the, the, the Serie A title. Um, so he's the happiest kid in the moon right now. Uh, but between the Premier League coverage and and keeping an eye on, you have to keep an eye on all the big teams, right? You have to keep an eye on on Man City and Liverpool, and I'll I'll include my Manchester United, even though we're having a few tough years recently. Uh, but you know Chelsea and Tottenham and Arsenal, you you have to pay attention to those games um, because you know those are the big content drivers for our show, the the call-ins that we're going to get. And, and then with the Bundesliga on, usually right around the same time, kicking off just a little bit after, I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth. 
Um, then when my kids' lives come in and we've got soccer games or things that I have to do, then I'm relying on on highlight packages. Um, I'm, I'm trying to bounce around to the different networks, the different subscription packages. Uh, YouTube is a, is a huge, huge ally in uh, keeping up with the game. Um, but I'll tell you, the, the hardest is keeping up with all of the MLS games in the evening because as I'm preparing for whatever broadcast for Real Salt Lake uh, and or ESPN, there's so many games, so many teams. And, and even from last night, I, I've still not caught up outside of our broadcast because Kenny Neal's fantastic as a producer, director extraordinaire that will roll highlights from Saturday and earlier Sunday games in our Real Salt Lake package. Uh, so I'll get a little bit of a teaser, but uh, this morning waking up, uh, get the boys ready, and then I'll, I'll pop in front of my computer, start taking notes and try to catch up on as many highlights and games and it, condensed match highlights that I possibly can. I always remember because I did used to do hosting work occasionally for Sirius XM yeah. back in the day. And these were call-in shows and you never knew what some caller might want to <laughs> yeah. talk about. And mm -hmm. so I always prepared like crazy on a bunch of different stuff because you can get caught out yeah. pretty quickly and you can't fake it. No, no, you can't. And you know, it's, it's something that I learned really quickly is, is, so when John, so John Harks and Tony Miola started Counterattack, right? The, they were the iconic face and duo, and obviously their pedigree and playing pedigree is so well established and known in the U.S. soccer scenes. They were, I always joke with them, the Dick Buckuses of soccer uh, for for the United States men's national team. Um, so when when John left and and decided that he was going to go back into coaching. Um, Christopher Sullivan, Janusz Mahalik, and myself were kind of this, this three-man rotation with Tony Miola. And I realized really quickly that my playing back, we, we, we label a lot of people, right? Especially in the business. We'll say, oh, U.S. international or English international or Premier League winner or Champions League winner. And there's a lot of sweat equity that comes along with that, right? Immediately, you're like, well, pfft. He's played at the highest level. He's done it. You know this guy knows what he's talking about. For someone like myself, I, I was I was a, I was an MLS guy, right? I'd, I'd bounced around Major League Soccer. I had been with the U.S. Under Twenties and, and the Olympic team, and I was fortunate enough to to play significant roles in those two um, underneath Clive Charles. But the national team level, I was only like a camp guy. I never. I was a friendly guy. I never really broke in um, from that transition of like. Carlos Shimosa and Eddie Pope and Greg Berhalter to Jimmy Conrad and Carlos Bocanegra. And, you know, I, I never really was able to kind of push through that group. So the moment that I got on Sirius, I realized really quickly, number one, Counterattack is the most difficult show on the channel because it's everything. It's not just Premier League centric or it's not just right. yell about everything on fire. I'm looking at you, Tom Rennie and Grumpy Pundits. Or it's not just Jason Davis, which is American soccer and the American soccer fan perspective. We're everything. And, and I think you and I probably did, I don't know, five to 10 shows together at Sirius. And you're right. You get a phone call and you don't know where it's coming. It could be about Atlanta United. It could be about Borussia Dortmund. It could be about AC Milan. It could be about West Ham United. Or, or it could be about the Mexican national team. Um, so you're not really, you have to be aware. And I realized very quickly that I, like you, talking about getting called out, I had this insecurity of, I have to prove to the listeners that I'm not just this, this guy that kind of played at this level. Um, and by the way, 
I'm American, so do I really know the game? And hey, this is our game. What do you know about it? I had to, I had to be prepared. And I got called out a few times and and I had to, I was challenged and I realized very quickly how all-encompassing this show was gonna be. And you had to do the work. And if you're not prepared, people will call you out because they know their teams so much better than you do. Um, and you, if you try to fluff it, ooh, nope, it, 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 you'll get called out. It, you'll get caught. You'll get caught really, really quick. Now, it's fascinating. The, one positive aspect of that, though, I am convinced, is that in the United States, we have so many fans of different leagues, different mm-hmm. countries from around yeah. the world, that if you're in media like you, you do need to be up on a bunch of different leagues. And one thing I found is, and this isn't the case with everybody in media in England or Germany or Italy or Spain, but in the biggest soccer countries in Europe, they actually don't pay that much attention to the other big soccer countries, domestic Mm -hmm. leagues in Europe. And they get caught out a little bit if they're doing Champions League stuff. I see this a lot with English broadcasters where you can tell that they don't know much about what's happening on the continent and everything is about England or this player who used to play in England. It's why people used to think in England used to say Diego Forlan was not a good player because he wasn't great at Man United and then Mm -hmm. he won like the Pichichi a bunch of times in Spain. But I actually think this is good for American soccer media. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you. We um, so at Sirius we do a podcast uh, called Week in the Tackle. Tom Rennie and I, um, who's who's over at Talksport, does an incredible job, and he lights everything on fire. Huge personality, huge West Ham homer, and basically hates anything that is you know top six. And it's we we I can remember we were doing previews for the Euros and it was he and I and we were kind of previewing stuff. It was really one of the first times we worked together, and we got done. He's like, "Damn, you you know your stuff." And I was like, "Well, yeah, we're previewing the Euros. Like I had to be prepared and like I'm, I'm paying attention to games." And I, and I was teasing him because then when we started doing week in the tackle, we we started delving into or dipping our toes into Major League Soccer, and I. I get it. Listen, I, I, I know from from the, the big talking point perspective, how the the how we categorize what the leagues are and the most important leagues and who wants to pay attention to what. And so for Tom, I started trying to get jerseys for him to buy into MLS teams to pay more attention. But then you have the time change and, you know, the, the, the differences that the, the variables that Europe has to deal with when trying to pay attention to Major League Soccer. and it was it was it was always fascinating to me that the conversation was i was watching all of these other leagues in the mornings and the afternoons and then still hyper focused on major league soccer while to your point you, you get so engrossed with just the idea my country my team my league uh, you know we'll we'll see what happens if we're involved in europe so when you have a regular partnership like you have with tony miola how does that relationship develop over the years yeah so tony and i I look at him as like my big brother, man. Grant, I've I've known Tony. Um, well, I've I've known Tony obviously growing up in the U.S. soccer scene, right? That that beautiful head of lettuce and what he did in the '90 and the '94 World Cup, and I mean everyone everyone knew Tony Mueller. This was like the iconic, putting the stamp on U.S. soccer and, and soccer in the United States. And 
for all of us, um, I think I'm, I'm, I was born in 1977. I'm 45 years old to watch that, that generation above me, um, you know, the Harksies and the Miolas and, and uh, Clay Coyman was my coach in Southern California growing up when I was 12 years old. Alexi Lawless was my first teammate when I turned pro. The, these were, th- these were magical moments for me when I was, when I was turning pro. So because of Clive Charles and the under 23 role that I had, you know, playing with that team, going to the Olympics, being the captain, in the buildup to the Olympics, when Steve Sampson was the head coach, um, Clive Charles was the assistant. So I was getting called in or uh, because these, these camps were in conjunction with one another, al- alongside one another. When the under-23 camp would end, after we'd be scrimmaging and training or whatever with the, with the full team, I would get to stay. Um, I was kind of earmarked to kind of stay and continue to try to develop and learn and see what happened with the first team. And being a central defender and Tony being a goalkeeper, we had a ton of interaction. But Tony was always fantastic to me, as were all the guys. Um, it was it was it was one of those things where I don't know. He he kind of our, our personalities meshed really well. And then um, I'll, I'll, there is there we had a family incident. My my little sister in 1997, she was getting off the school bus. The bus driver closed the door on the backpack and drug her down the street. She had a really bad injury. It was a really bad incident. Um, and I had to fly home and, you know, handle that. It was right during the MLS playoffs. And Tony had found out, sent me a message, called me. And then literally every time I saw Tony, first thing, Dunny, how are you? How's your little sister doing? And it always like, it, it, he personalized that relationship for me. So I always had like a special place for him. Um, so then, you know, playing with him throughout or playing against him throughout the MLS career. So when this opportunity started, he and I had like this meshed organic relationship, like a real friendship before. Um, and then to see, you know, the aggressive, loud, boisterous Tony Miola with the big old bear claws, the Wreck-It Ralph flying all over the place. Then to, you know, see him now where he's 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 more subdued. The competitive competitiveness has been kind of rolled back. Um, now we, we just have a blast, man. Every day, whether we're, you know, texting about stuff and Andrew Williams, our producer, we, the three of us and, and whether it's Emmett or Gabe or whoever else is, is, is being a part of the show, it's just a fun, organic kind of environment for us to be kind of locker roomy, you know, like bus chops and have fun and tease and poke, I poke the bear all the time, see what I can get out of him. Um, and then, Honestly, one of the most things I'm I'm proud about with our relationship is that we've cultivated this environment for the callers and the listeners to we we want to act like, you know, we're at the bar and we're having a drink and everyone's like talking about football and soccer and like what what happened. And now honestly, I, I can go to different cities and I'll meet up with listeners from the show because I've created, you know, the the we have created an environment where the listeners now will we'll DM or text message or call and I meet guys face to face and I have great relationships and texting relationships with, with listeners of the show. And I just think that's, that's incredible. It's so much fun to, to create something so organic just through a relationship of, of, of two guys talking about soccer and football. Yeah. When you start creating a community, it's a really cool thing. And it sounds yeah, like that's you know exactly yeah. what's happened there. So I, before we go any further, I do want to ask you, we are publishing audio and not video here, but you're in your typical spot that I think viewers and <laughs> listeners have probably seen before. And behind you, there are two framed jerseys uh, from the 2000 Olympics, a, yeah. a tournament I covered uh, in Australia that you got to the semifinals of and played Chile. Yeah. And that's Ivan Zamorano's jersey. 
And I assume it's from that game in the semifinals. Is there a story behind it? Yeah. So I I ended up getting injured. I was captain of the team. I ended up getting injured. I had an adductor injury. Um, Literally the last training session on my own, uh, it was at the old Foxborough Stadium, stepped into like a hole, sand hole, and kind of like strained my my adductor. So I didn't get to play in the beginning of the tournament. Um, And so finally, when I was healthy at the end of the group stage, Clive Charles was like, well, my center back pairing of Danny Califf and Chad McCarty are playing so well right now. I, I can't drop them. So hands up, totally get it. No problem. I knew that heading into the first game and facing Samuel Eto'o, uh, if I turned and tried to run with him and my adductor popped, not only was probably a goal, but then probably a forced substitution. So I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I, Clive and I went through that whole, that whole song and dance about if I should be involved. Um, so I only got to play. Chad got a, a yellow. His, his, he was on yellow card warning, got a yellow card against Spain. And I remember sitting on the bench going, I'm going to get to play in the bronze medal match. This is gonna That's be right, bronze medal match. Yeah, it was yeah. a bronze. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was Bam Bam Zamorano at the time. He was at Inter. Um, he was captain. I was captain, and I've I've got a, a picture of the group on one side, and I've got Bam Bam hugging me. We were, we went up to each other and hugged each other afterwards. Um, I'd end up hitting the crossbar, and Alexi was actually the the analyst uh, with Andres Cantor, the play by play, doing English, which was like the very first time Andres had done English. Um, and so, yeah, after he we exchanged jerseys, and so I had my backup jersey, and then I've got his jersey, uh, which I made the mistake of packing in my bag without washing on the way home. Um, so I, everything was ripe in my bag <laughs> afterwards because it was hot down in Australia. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, my, my neighbor actually across the street, Zach, uh, has a company called the framing establishment. So he ended up, um, he came over one day and he's like, why do you have all these jerseys in a bucket? And I was like, I don't know. I I mean, what do I do with them? And he's like, he took them and he, he framed this up. And the only thing I came across was I actually have the captain's armband just over to my left. And I, I wish I would have included it in the frame just cause I thought it was kind of cool. You can see it off the, the right shoulder, but yeah, Zamorano, man, what, what a player, uh, his movement off the ball, front shoulder, back shoulder, incredible in the air, left foot, right foot. Um, he, he was, he was difficult to keep an eye on or try to, you know, I always say touch tight, kind of understand where his momentum was at any point. What a great run that was by that U.S. team. Yeah. I, like I have some really good memories of, of that whole tournament. Uh, some random ones, too. That's when Alexi actually shaved his beard for the first time, <laughs> was in Australia um, doing that. I remember going to Adelaide where I think it was uh, the U.S. advanced against Japan. Yeah, yeah. Went to um, yeah. And remember, it was, it was kind of funny. Like, I... I didn't understand time zones. It was like a 30 minute time change to go to Adelaide. I was just like, what yeah. What kind of weirdness is this? But yeah. uh, looking forward to going to Australia again next year for the Women's World Cup, cool country. Oh, jealous. I wanna ask about something a little more serious right now. And mm. when the CTE stories came out recently about the late Scott Vermillion and then yeah. Bruce Murray who, who thinks he probably has it. Uh, You spoke very eloquently about it. And I'm wondering, why do you think it struck such a chord with you? Yeah, this one, uh, I was talking to my wife about this because I've had a ton of emotion over this. And, um, you know, when it was the one day that Tony wasn't on the show and I was with Maddie Lawrence, who uh, played over 
primarily in the championship and majority of his career was here in the United States for his college education, playing uh, D1 soccer. And then currently uh, alongside Glenn Crooks on the NYCFC radio call. Um, and I and I texted he and Emmett McConnell and I said, here's this New York Times article about Scott Vermillion. I knew Scott. We were kind of in this, this, this brotherhood of the Project 40. For those that don't understand MLS, Project 40 basically was like the start of early entry college players into Major League Soccer. And still have the college draft, but you know these are all seniors. So you're getting guys that are 21, 22, 23. And Sunil Gulati and Nike and US Soccer and MLS came together and they started Project 40, which turned into Generation Adidas, which is now effectively what um, the homegrown system kind of looks like, bypassing college and going straight to the pros. Well, I was the second guy to sign. And Scotty came through from UVA. Well, UVA was a much, much bigger school than my Cal State Fullerton, I got to admit. Um, so it was easy for me to leave. And you started to see guys like Scott Vermillion, guys like Benny Olson, guys like Chris Albright. Like, so Scott, you know, Scott, I'd, he was a competitor and I played against him in college. And then when we got into the pros, whether it was at Kansas City or it was at Colorado or it was at DC, or we were traveling over in the off season, people forget we'd get this Project 40 you know, collective circus together and we would go, you know, we would go to England or we would go to Portugal or, you know, even later they go down to Argentina with the kind of the next generation of P40s that we're signing. And so Scott and I, he was a right back or a right center back. And we, we just played together and we, we worked together. And I, I, you know, a lot of us, we, we lose touch with guys that we play with. Right. And it happens even you go back, anybody, high school, college, you end up losing, losing touch, but that doesn't mean that you still don't have an organic relationship that you can kind of pick up where you left off. And I kind of heard about Scott and what was happening in his personal life. And when he passed away, it, you know, it was, it was kind of in the mix of what was happening with COVID starting up and Christmas day and all of this. And I knew, I knew he had a family um, and he had some kids and I didn't under, I, I wasn't aware of what had happened and I felt horrible, right? I felt horrible that, that this had happened. Here's a guy that I know that played alongside of me and, you know, he fell on some hard times, but I didn't realize, I didn't realize the depth of, of how CTE or concussions um, were involved. And then when I saw the report come out, it, it was devastating to me. It was devastating to, to recognize and to hear and to see that he was the first person that had been post-mortem, um, you know, declared that he had CTE, the first soccer player. And so I, I wanted to talk about it because I think there's, there's a lot of, I'm going to say us, right? I'll, 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 I'll do a broad stroke. There's a lot of us, and, and, and this is any sport, but I'm going to keep it for soccer, that really struggle to figure out when it's all said and done, okay, who are you, right? Who are you without the game? For me, I was no longer... Brian Dunseth, the soccer player. I wasn't Dunny, the guy who who got to play at the highest level. All of a sudden, I was getting married. I was having kids. I was trying to figure out who the hell I was. You know, I made twelve thousand dollars the first year after I quote unquote retired. Thanks a lot, Lexi. Uh, and when he was the general manager of Galaxy, um, and then it was like, who who am I? And I got you know we got caught in this phase where people were asking like, oh, what are you up to? They were interested in your life. But now you were trying to reestablish your identity without the game. Um, and this whole, this whole idea of, okay, I'm, well, I, I'm struggling. Like, I need help. I need direction. You find out very quickly as an athlete, um, and again, a broad stroke, I'll say athlete, that 
there's not a lot of room for you to complain. You know, you have your tight circle, uh, but outside of that, people are going to look at you and be like, hold, bro, you made it. Like, you got to play. You got to travel. You got to go to the Olympics. You got to go here. You got to see that. Like, we lived vicariously through you. We'd get, we'd, we'd watch you on television. We were rooting for you, dude. You represented Upland. You know, you represented Fullerton. And all of a sudden, you realize, like, oh, I can't, like, I don't, I can't talk about this. Like, I can't talk about how hard this is. Like, I got to live this incredibly special life, but now it's in the past. And we're not doctors and we're not lawyers. And our careers, our body, when our bodies give out, we're done. And it's usually 30-ish. And then it's like, who the hell are you? So throughout this whole process, you know, you start realizing, and I've had conversations with Chad McCarty. I'll, I'll give you the laundry list of guys whose, whose careers have ended because of concussion or, you know, head injuries. Chad McCarty, Jimmy Conrad, Aleko Eskandarian, uh, Ike Opara, uh, Sam Cronin, Chad Marshall, Brian Namoff, Josh Gross, Ross Pauly. Th- these, are, I'm, these are just off the top of my head. I started reaching out to these guys um, and, and trying to figure out like, how everyone's doing because there's so much... You know, we, I feel like we can talk to ourselves about it because we understand what each other's going through, but it's hard for other people to kind of get it and, and figure it out. So for Scotty, long story short, I started thinking about, man, he was in a really bad spot and he probably didn't know what was happening. And he understood he had, he had brain injury, but whether it was irritability or light sensitivity or it was depression or it was high anxiety um, or um, it, it was you know, something, so, something as stupid as, as you know, not understanding his emotions, um, you know, the, the impulse control of what was happening. He, I don't, we, we don't talk about dementia or CTE because we're such an early phase of sport here in the United States where you hear it and you hear about the studies and you hear about the leather weighted wet, wet balls over in Europe and specifically in the Premier League or England. So I just, I, I think about what he was going through and all of those emotions, all, I, I, Grant, it unlocked, man. I didn't expect it. I had pushed everything so far down, bolted it up. Hey, I can't, I can't feel this. I, I can't because I got kids, I got a family, I got a wife, I got to, I got to take care of everybody. And so I didn't expect it to happen. And then when Sirius put out the video, all of a sudden it resonated with people. And I got calls from like Chris Nowinski at Concussion Legacy Foundation. Obviously, and let, me, let me stop for a second. Taylor Twelman's done a, an extraordinary job pushing the envelope for player safety, concussion awareness, and concussion protocol. Think, uh, you know, thinktaylor.org. Highly suggest anyone who's paying attention. He took it upon himself I called that game when there was, you know, he got punched in the face and the goalkeeper broke his hand. And that was one of the last big injuries that he suffered before he was forced to retire. So all of this kind of came together. And now I think talking and I'm reaching out to so many players that have lost their, their career was cut short because of injuries. You know, there, there's a significant concern amongst us. Um, and a lot of us, including myself, haven't reached out to healthcare providers or seen the correct doctors because quite honestly, Grant, I'm scared shitless of what I'm going to find. It's kind of like, you know, don't ask the questions you don't want the answers to. Uh, And I've been having this conversation with a lot of guys of, Hey, have you, have you, have you been seen? Have you really gone and talked to somebody and seen uh, a, a brain specialist, um, you know, BU and the CTE studies do an incredible job. Have you, 
And a lot of guys are like, no, I haven't. I haven't. And, th- and then you get into, you know, how, how are you, how are you numbing yourself? How are you dealing with all of this? And, and for me personally, it's, you know, I leaned into alcohol and, you know, kind of cutting that down a little bit. I'm trying not, not that I can't function, but like just taking that edge off. Um, so yeah, sorry, man. Um, no, man, it's, it's, it's been hard and I've been talking to my wife a lot and I didn't realize that underneath everything that I've kind of built and been told, don't be soft, be strong, you know, that all of a sudden that box got opened up because of Scotty, because I just think about him being in that room or him being in that dark place and not having the assets, you know, the mental health or the medical assets that he needed in a time where he was by himself and, and talking to other guys, man, there, there's so, I, I, I fear for, I fear for my group and my generation as we continue to learn about CTE and, you know, Bruce reached out to me before the story went public a couple of weeks ago and was telling me what was happening. I was unaware of what was happening, but he decided to share because of, um, you know, when that, when that video went live on Sirius and, I just, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be an advocate. I'm trying to reach out to as many people as possible. This last week, I've donated my brain to the CTE study. Um, I've signed up for the HITS study as well for, for people that are over the age of 40 to try to figure out what the impact has been for sport um, on our brain. And yeah, I, I just, I think about kind of what this legacy, and it is going to be a legacy, um, unfortunately, it's it's going to be a serious legacy in the in the world of soccer in the United States. Um, as we continue to learn more, I I I I fear for the MLSPA. I fear for the league. I fear for ourselves as we in five years time. Right, we, I, I'm broad stroke. We're probably about five years behind all the time in terms of of medical studies and information. Um, in five years time, how many how many players um, are publicly diagnosed with you know, severe brain trauma from our playing career. And, and to be clear, this isn't like a singular event, right? This isn't like MLS's problem because, you know, guys play in MLS. So, you know, they get caught holding the bag. It's, it's from childhood all the way up. And, you know, minimizing heading the ball up until you're 12 is fantastic. I still have issues that we're not teaching children how then once they become 12 years old to head the ball properly. Um, but yeah, for, for all of these incidences, and I've had six, I got a concussion on my MLS debut. <laughs> I got a concussion. The the my first MLS goal, Rusty Pierce headbutted me in the temple. We still kind of laugh about that. I taste ego waffles straight out of the toaster with a like a little metallic taste when I know I quote unquote got my bell rung. That's how I kind of justify that something's wrong. My left eye vision gets a little wonky, gets a little gets a little um messed up. And so I kind of knew what I was dealing with, but now as as we're getting older, um these conversations, man, Grant, I've been reaching out to so many players, just checking in on them. And a lot, a lot of guys are, are, are dealing with some tough stuff right now and trying to figure out what's the next solution. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you for being so heartfelt about this uh, and so open. And it's, it's a lot. I know it is. Um, And I mean, not many ex-pro athletes are willing to be as vulnerable as you have been on, on radio and television about this. Why do you think that is? Um, 
I think guys are, again, it's the machismo, right? It's like, you got to be strong. You got to be tough. You got to, we've been taught, we've been taught since we were, well, especially in highly competitive environments, even going back to club soccer, right? You, you got to, you got to grit through it. Like we need you, you got, you got to play through it. And you know, it, it kind of, the levels ramp up from like competitive club soccer to like college level. Once you get to the pros, then there's a dynamic of your, your self-worth is, is, is equitable to your paycheck. And as you get raises or as you get bigger contracts, that's how you're justifying the value of yourself, but also how important you are to your respective club, right? And we're all definitely, uh, guys are definitely afraid of losing that status. You, you don't want to lose, first of all, you don't want to lose your starting spot, right? You, you, do, you don't want to lose your role as an impact sub. And God forbid you're injured enough to where the coach or the club doesn't look at you as, as, as we can't trust you, right? We can't trust you and your body. Um, so all of this is ingrained in your mentality. It's not, you're fighting every single day, not you're fighting every single day, not only for that position in the team, but you're fighting for yourself and your value. You're fighting for your family and your stability. Every time I, every time I bought a house in major league soccer, I got traded. Like, I got a new contract with Columbus Crew. I'm gonna go buy a house six months later. Trade. I'm gonna buy. I, I'm coming back from Sweden. I'm signing with Real Salt Lake. I'm gonna buy a house nine months later. Traded. So all of these are like levels of how we look at success. Um, but again, then you're gone, and there's a disconnect. It starts with the disconnect from your 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 brotherhood of this team that you're fighting you know they always say fight for the badge and fight for the you know for the name on the jersey on the front not on the back well yeah until they don't want you anymore and then there's there's no brotherhood then you're just a former player and then you you don't you, there's nowhere to turn there's a disconnect with those guys they don't they they see what happened to you and they're scared to death of knowing inevitably that'll be them at some point so we don't, we, you know, we like you, but man, good luck, bro. Like, we'll see what happens. And it, it happened. It, that's, that's a real thing. And so I think for, for all of us, we lock it up. We put it away. We say, man, what an incredible run. And what's next? And a lot of us have families and children and, and you can't, you can't expose that, that insecurity, um, and that, and that fear of emotion coming out. And again, like I, I thought I put it away and I've had, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with Taylor privately, um, talking about and texting him and asking, you know, for referral or guidance or, Hey, what's working for you? This is what I'm dealing with right now. And first message I got was Taylor. Like, I'm proud of you because like you said, not a lot of us talk about it. And I think it's the fear of falling on dead ears. It's the fear of, oh, there goes Dunny again. Oh, talking about his head injuries, dude. Get over it, bro. Like that's what that's what for me. That's what I was extremely fearful about. It's great that you're checking on other people. I hope people are checking on you too, mm. uh, my friend. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you. And I guess one question I would have is. What do you want to see happen in terms of protecting players that you're not seeing right now? You know, for for me, this, this is something that I'm wrestling with right now because, I, like I said, I want to be an advocate. I want to be an ally. I 
I don't want to light everything on fire. I don't want to like cancel everything. And I'm not trying to take the sport into a direction that is unidentifiable. That that's nothing. This is for me as organic to me as a human being, as I possibly can just trying to figure out what the solutions could be. I'm, I'm in the midst of just trying to go through different football associations and players associations from not only abroad, um, but here in the States with different sports um, and trying to figure out what could be a positive step in the right direction. Um, and I know from, from an MLS Players Association, we are still in, quote unquote, I would say the infancy, right? The infancy of, of this Players Association, even though it's grown tremendously since the start of being in a courtroom and watching Sunil Gulati, you know, being deposed or testifying as to what's happening with Major League Soccer as Simioli and company were trying to start a players association. Um, John Kerr Jr. back in the day for all the MLS after darkers. Um, I, I would love to see assets being available to former players. Um, even something as, as silly as opt-in healthcare, right? And I know that's, I'm saying it's silly, but for, for us as players, when, when you're done with the team, it's like, thank you very much, good luck, appreciate what you've done. And then you're like, till I die, whenever there's a hashtag associated with your goodbye tweet. But the amount of guys that still need some type of therapy or have some type of injury or, you know, that, that, that maybe are in a tough place, is there, is there counselors or therapists available for the transition into that next life? Is there, instead of going to Cobra for $2,500 a month, is there some type of opt-in healthcare program that'll be available? Um, because teams have health healthcare programs and could there be could you subsidize some type of opt-in healthcare program? Um, long-term, I would, I would love to see a pension plan set up um, from Major League Soccer and the MLSPA and tie it into future earnings, figure it out some way. But you know, even looking at LinkedIn the other day and what Chris Paul and the NBA are doing with MLS or NBA Players Association with AMA players back in the day um, and what they've done. And I know the money's significantly different. Um, and then I don't, I don't expect... MLSPA or Major League Soccer to to sort out what a player's life looks like post playing career with regards to um, any type of employment or what they should do. Right, the individual has to figure that out. But how can we how can we provide or how can it be provided that there's guidance? You know, some type of guidance program. So from the healthcare side, the physical side, the mental side, that's all taken care of, and then creating a, a, a continued growth of a network that affords guys maybe a little bit more direction, you know, uh, just a, a little bit more direction because as the league continues to grow and the teams and the players and the amount of, you know, the, the, the amount of players retiring and staying in the United States, I, I just, I can't see why we can't start to put the bones together of something that I think is so important. Um, you know, not only for the real-time athletes, but I keep telling those real-time athletes, you're only a couple of seasons or a couple of plays away from being in the same position, um, you know, I find myself in. We're winding down here with Brian Dunseth. Really appreciate you taking this much time to talk. Uh, just a couple more questions, and, and transitions are always jarring when you go from something uh, like that topic to, oh, yeah. yeah, let's talk about what's happening on the field. <laughs> but here we are. Um, yeah. 
What's going on out in Salt Lake? I mean, I've had mm. Pablo Mastroani and David Blitzer on my podcast in recent months. The team is doing well on the field, obviously. It's drawing extremely well in the stands, even more yeah. so this season. What's causing all that? Um, I think David Blitzer's group and Ryan Smith's group um, have have reinvigorated this fan base, uh, especially after what's transpired off the field for the last couple of years. Um, there, There is more of an emphasis on game day experience. And if you come out to the stadium at Rio Tinto Stadium, I mean, it's got to be a million, couple million, just invested in everything from you walk in, there's a bucket of flags and you just grab one and you get in the stands, you wave it and you just drop it back in the bucket on the way out uh, to the paint, um, you know, the Claret and Cobalt paint um, to the graffiti. And I'm saying graffiti and that sounds bad, but the graffiti artistry that's been um, placed uh, around the stadium. And then just even to the banners, the, the game day environment, bringing the, the fan culture and the supporter group in the South End all into kind of that bottom right behind the goal. All of these things are important. And I, and I think a lot of it's been the fans are finally having their voice heard and there's interaction and it's real time face to face with the ownership group, um, which is what, what, what any fan that has gripes or opinions um, wants to, wants to be heard. Right. Uh, and then <laughs> Pablo, Pablo's incredible, man. Having played against Pablo, played alongside Pablo, um, worked with Pablo and now, you know, having this relationship as, as broadcaster coach, along with friendship, the way he, the way, the way he, you know, you know, Pops, right? Like, oh, it's a beautiful tree. And Pop would be like, yeah, but the roots, man. Have you ever thought about how this tree goes so deep in the ground and the roots spread out? And that's the life of the ground, man. Like he's just, he's, he's, he's incredible just the way his mind works. Um, so the way that he's got this team going, he's created kind of the culture and the atmosphere behind the scenes, still dealing with, you know, the loss of Albert Rusnak in the off season and Damir Krylock being out all season, Bobby Wood having a fantastic year and being injured. And somehow this team with all the games lost because of, of, of player injury is currently in third place in the Western conference. Um, it, it's just all clicking. And as you referenced, 10 consecutive sellouts at Rio Tinto stadium is something really we haven't seen since kind of the Jason Christ, Garth Lagerway, you know, MLS Cup winning or CONCACAF Champions League final grouping. Um, there's a buzz around the city. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what the next couple of years looks like underneath this stewardship. I also want to ask about the new Apple MLS deal with that having just been announced. And there's a lot that's up in the air. Yeah. Are you up in the air on being able to call RSL games next season? Yeah. So for those that don't understand, all, all the home broadcasts are gone at the end of the season. And and for all the uproar, just to be clear, everybody associated with any club or any broadcast knew at the end of 2022 that something was going to happen. Um, for me, I signed my deal three years ago, uh, and it was, I'm not a full-time employee. Uh, I'm here's my contract for game rate. And it was up until 2022, there was talk about maybe extending it to 2023 as everyone was kind of waiting to see who, uh, what the announcement would be and who the announcement would be coinciding with. Um, so I, I like everybody was nervous and trying to figure it out, am nervous trying to figure it out. Um, there's, there's, I would assume MLS and Apple have their list of guys that they're interested in. I would assume also the infrastructure has to be laid first and foremost because you got to get the games to air. 
Um, will I be a part of it? I hope so. Is there anything confirmed? There's not. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of uh, really, really fun, strong talent available. And I think like everybody, we're all going to be intrigued to see what this looks like. Um, you know, is it full-time studio? Is it shoulder programming? Is it on-site? Are they... I still am a huge believer in what NBC Sports does when they put the desk on the field and you've got the warm-ups behind them and kind of that immediacy and the visuals that happen. I think that's a great atmosphere builder um, that needs to continue to be exposed. And then ultimately, um, you know, how many teams? Who's on the road? Are you on site? Are you back in the studio? Uh, what does this look like? Is it a full-time gig? Is it a part-time gig? For someone like myself who's freelance across the board, doing Sirius XM from my basement and uh, in my office um, to doing local television shows and local radio shows. Like what does this kind of look like? So it, it cause I haven't had a full-time gig since I was an MLS player back in 2006. So I think we're all just trying to figure out what this looks like. Um, and yeah, I mean, hopefully selfishly for myself, I, I, I hope there's a, there's a role for me and I can be included. Brian Dunseth hosts Counterattack weekday afternoons on Sirius XM FC, Sirius XM's 24-7 soccer channel. He's also a TV analyst for Rail Salt Lake and ESPN. Donnie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Grant, I really appreciate the platform, the opportunity, and the friendship, man. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Brian Dunseth, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.